passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the return of Post Pro Res. I'm John Pollock, reunited with one WH Park. Hello, WH. It's been too long. It's been a month, maybe. Has it only been a month? I feel like it's been six. That's how much news we have to talk about today. It feels, yeah, there, there's a lot of things to talk about. I was, I was having a similar conversation when uh, MCU later came back with Way. He was like, it's been like close to a month. And I said, it's been exactly a month since we did MCU later. But you know, that's back in full force now. So it's it's all good. It's that separation from WH Park. It feels so much longer yeah. than it actually is. Uh, some people wouldn't necessarily agree with you there, John. But I, I appreciate you saying so. Well, we have a lot to dive into. In fact... Uh, a rare month, WH, that has produced a new IWGP champion, a new Triple Crown champion, and a new GHC champion. Yeah, it's um, – and like of those three, like, uh, you know, two of those feel fresh. One doesn't feel as fresh, but hey, it's better than the uh, what was happening before. Well, we're going to hit on all of those, and I mean, th- this just feels like a very dated news by this point, but you and I have not discussed it, and that is Shingo Takagi winning the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, uh, defeating Kazuchika Okada earlier this month, and just the idea of Shingo Takagi ascending to this role, WH, I mean, was this something that when he came into the company that you thought like there was going to be that ceiling for Takagi that would would limit his trajectory to get to this level as heavyweight champion. I, I see him being the IWGP champion as something that I wanted to see as a fan of his since his Dragon Gate days. But realistically, there were so many barriers because he came in as a junior. Though I never thought that he was going to stay a junior forever because like he had proven himself to be very capable of mixing with heavyweights and other promotions, doing interpromotional stuff. But the other thing that I thought was going to really hamper him was that he was a Dragon Gate guy. He came from the Dragon Gate system, and he wasn't a New Japan guy. But, I mean, that's not that hasn't stopped other people from becoming IWGC champion. But, you know, I thought from, like, his first foray into the G1, I thought, okay, there is a distinct possibility that he will turn heads in the company to the point where they will say, okay, you know what? You can have a run with the title. Now, my question is, is just, is he, is this a transition phase? Is he a transitional champion or are they going to go with him for the long term? I think he would be great as a long term champion because he's proven that he can be a successful one in terms of the box office for Dragon Gate. So I think he can bring that same success to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, it's, it certainly comes at a period where. You know, I, I think you have to look at this outcome that, you know, they could have gone with the reliable choice of just putting the title on Okada. I thought it was like the more bold move going with Shingo. And I mean, ultimately, it's going to be that like, what kind of title reign is this? And you're going into such a, I'm going to call it a tumultuous summer for New Japan, because I am stunned at some of their uh, booking decisions, not so much storyline wise, but physical booking of buildings that they are going to uh, throughout July and into August like this. I guess New Japan did not get the memo that the Olympics are starting. Um, 
No. Again, like this schedule that they have, it just tells me that they are so desperate to make up for lost revenue from last year that they're just going full steam ahead without any consideration of, of what's actually happening in Japan, regardless of the Olympics. Like just the whole idea of like the, you know, the COVID is really, you know, out of control over there. And like vaccination is such a far, far away reality for, for most of the population. We've got, um, you know, as, as we're speaking now, we got the resumption of the Kazuna Road Tour that's going to continue this week. And then the Summer Struggle Tour, which it might in fact be, uh, they're going to run back to back nights in Hokkaido on July 10th and 11th. Uh, pretty sizable venue that they are running. They've announced, uh, Desperado and Taiji Shimori for the first night on the 10th. And then Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi against Naito and Sonata for the tag titles on the 11th. And the crazy stretch comes later in July when we've got back-to-back nights in Osaka at Idion Arena, July 24th in Nagoya, and then their fourth show in as many nights, July 25th at the Tokyo Dome, two days after the Olympics have begun. And on top of that, we have booked uh, the MetLife Dome for September 4th and 5th. So they are just going full out with some of their... Uh, arenas and stadiums that they have booked. And we are going to get a, an enormous amount of stadium shows this year from New Japan, all told. I mean, I I would think this is a vicious, you know, tour with these dates, with these venues. If like there was no COVID and if they had their full, you know, roster at full strength, as it is, like, I, I don't know what they're thinking. Like the MetLife Dome, that's the Cebu Dome, correct? Which you did go to for the finals. Did you not in 2014? I did, yeah. That's this was when the monsoon was about to uh, hit, right? Oh no, it hit. It hit. Yes. (laughs) While I was at the show, yeah. Fortunately, I was on the side that the wind was not blowing all the water into the into the arena. In you know, like because it's an open air, uh, you know, venue because it's a baseball stadium. (laughs) Like that. That was a fun day. I will say this, John. It's probably the one, like the second most comfortable like G1 finals I've ever attended in terms of like the temperature, where I wasn't feel like I was going to die from heat stroke. So it's got that going that. for it, but not the, not the most accessible uh, venue, correct? No, for no, God no. Like you have to take like from Tokyo alone, it's like God an hour, and then it's like on a local train. There's no express. Like is I I wouldn't really think of going to like you know MetLife Dome to be like something as a, you know, like if I was going as a, thinking of it as an excursion with my friends to watch wrestling, it'd be like, mm, should we go out there? Maybe you have to make it a, an overnight stay to make it worthwhile and do other things while we're there just to go for these shows. I don't know. Like, and what, what are they going to put in there? Like, who knows? Like, I can't see anything drawing like even half the capacity of that place because it's massive. Yeah, I mean, that's the other factor to all of these shows is that by the time they come, we don't know what the restrictions are going to be. If it's going to be this 5,000 cap, if it's that's somewhat going to be relaxed. Um, you know, and you're talking again, back to back nights in Osaka, like that's, that's not just like throwing on your, you know, some multi-man tags to facilitate a show. Uh, ditto from Nagoya. And then, you know, the Tokyo Dome in the midst of the Olympics, it just seems like that is, a brutal date to be opting to run a Tokyo Dome, no matter what the restrictions are or or what you're doing. I just think that's you're going to have such divided attention on top of the you know the 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 vaccination issues that you've outlined as well. The Tokyo Dome, which we know at least is going to be Shingo and Kota Ibushi, but I just think this is a real ambitious run that it's it just seems like they are at the mercy of the scheduling that it, this is not designed for like optimal booking or or being able to attract people to all of these shows. I, I mean, I think with the Olympics, like people are just probably going to want to just stay home to, to, to watch that and not bother because at, the attitude towards the Olympics is like that, that thing was like so like anticipated in Japan while I was there, John, like the, the summer before the Olympics were supposed to be scheduled for last year. Like I just remember so much excitement about it. And like when the tickets were on sale and like, Oh my God, they're like in the thousands of dollars, these prices, but people wanted them. There was lotteries for that. There was like, you know, a palpable excitement for the Olympics. Like I think I would imagine it's carried over even like all the restrictions, restrictions that you have for watching it. And with all, you know, like with the athletes and everything that, you know, people are don't 
not really going to care about like a product. Let's be honest, like a product that's pretty stale right now. Even we, and I love Shingo's champion, but like, overall, it's a pretty stale, you know, promotion right now. I don't think there's that much excitement uh, in the mid card for, for, for New Japan. And like, I don't see anyone really spending the money to go to the Tokyo Dome to, to see, to hang out with like maybe 3,000 people, maybe. 2,000 people like in the Tokyo, that, that would not be any fun at all. Let's be honest. Well, and going back to our first uh, discussion about Shingo, I mean, do you look at this and can New Japan separate that, you know, this schedule is what it is or does somehow like, does this become like a, a negative mark on Shingo's reign that he's going to be kind of your, kind of your focal point in going into all of these events? I think, I don't care who your champion is. I think it would, it's going to be a, a massive struggle. Uh, but for Shingo, I mean, there's going to be all eyes on his performance. And I hope that that can be deciphered from what he's being thrust into because I wouldn't envy any brand new champion being thrown into this mix. No, I mean, if you want to go back to the first point we talked about with Shingo being the champion, John, like, I mean, the, the, you could easily just make the, the, you know, post the theory that, you know, like Okada is Ghetto's boy. He's always been Ghetto's boy. So Ghetto's like realizing, I, I got the schedule to deal with that the, the office is throwing on me and I got to fill it out with all these cards and stuff like that. Well, I don't want to sack, I don't want my boy to look bad. So maybe Shingo is the scapegoat for like the poor business that this is likely to do this whole, this whole tour leading up to the September 4th and 5th shows. Um, if by some miracle, they do pretty good business, then it's definitely a feather in Shingo's cap. But if, it doesn't. If it does poorly, then I do think it's, he's going to be shoulder some of the blame for it, and it might affect any you know any future considerations for being the champion again down the line. And this is coming at a time when New Japan is cold. I mean, even with restrictions and such, like you're looking at. I mean, just just look at what All Japan drew the other day at Oda Ward Gymnasium, and compare that to like what New Japan's putting in at at Cork and Hall and and such. Like it just to me, they've overrun that market to such a degree. Um, I, I think it's just complete complete fatigue on the New Japan product. Complete fatigue on the people's wallets too. Like you can't afford to go to these shows like ad nauseum. Like especially at Cork and Hall. Like I mean, what I don't, I can't remember what the the, the ticket prices are these days. But uh, you know, like you just say, the cheapest ticket is probably like I don't know, John, like thirty dollars, forty dollars. You can't keep doing that every week to to go to these shows. Like at some point, even your most hardcore New Japan fan is gonna be like, like my budget is, is taxed. I and there's nothing on these cards that makes me want to go. It's a double-edged sword, too, because you're drawing from such a lesser amount of people, and you're trying to make some of this money back that you have to be able to charge a certain amount, and it's almost like trying to get the most out of your most loyal audience, and that's going to be diminishing returns, and I think we're seeing that played out. Like These are historically low numbers at Cork and Hall for New Japan. I mean, with, with that being said, I'm really curious as to what this resurgence show in America is going to do. I've seen, have you seen the ticket prices for this, John? They're pretty oh, funny. They are scaling this like this is a massive like New Japan card, like in the heyday when they were running Long Beach and such. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the drawing power of uh, you know Tom Waller is. I like Tom Waller, but I don't think he's worth three hundred dollars <laughs> unless he's fighting John Moxley. But even then, I wouldn't pay. I wouldn't pay like the mo- like the cheapest ticket is 40 bucks okay that's what i might pay to see an indie show which is what this is well it's i mean it's all built around strong with like your big star on it being john moxley which i guess is notable the fact that john moxley can do a u.s date with fans um you know i strong is a show that i i need to be following more because on paper it always looks like a really entertaining show uh i like the format that it's an hour your three matches uh but yeah you're running a venue that it's it's an adjustable venue so they have like this flex between like five and ten thousand people that they can fit towards this but i would say if they if they could ever draw five thousand that would be a huge feather in the cap given that this is not a new japan proper show with you, you know your your native stars and i i don't even know if like you could draw like five thousand with your native stars depending on the card like who you got what kind of matches you have but with the strong roster and there's nothing wrong with it like i i when i get to get to find time to watch strong i do enjoy it i think very good shows like some great talent there but it's it's great it's it's a great crew a solid roster um but i that's something i would try to fill 
like you know 500 we know maybe a, a thousand seat venue would be I, my I would have piggybacked off of SummerSlam the following weekend whether it be in LA or Vegas I think like that I think you would have had a better opportunity for like your Friday night as a alternative to SmackDown that New Japan puts on a card and you've got Moxley there yeah, I, well, I mean, I suppose like making poor business decisions is uh, is uh, something that carries over the uh, the Pacific Ocean. I want to uh, talk about some positive elements of the past couple of weeks. I've really enjoyed the trial series, particular with uh, Yuya Uemura. His match with Hiroshi Tanahashi, I, I love that match, WH. I thought it was uh, just fantastic. And this week, they're doing two core Q&A Hall dates, uh, July 1st and 2nd. They're free shows. And... On the second, we're going to get Abushi versus Yodosuji and Shingo Takagi against Yuya Yurimura, which I'm very excited for. Oh, those sound like fucking bangers, dude. I, I mean, I, I like the Tanahashi match that Yurimura had. I loved the Abushi match he had. I thought, my God, like, Abushi just was, like, in full, like, senpai dickhead mode, and it was beautiful. And I can just see down the line, maybe, you know, if they want to kind of build up Yurimura, Put him in, put him as the tag partner of, of Ibushi. Like he can say, like, I like you. You can be my tag partner. We're going to go for those tag team titles I at am, some I point. I am not making, I am not making the Hirai Kwato mistake of just investing into someone to such a degree and then just getting Master Wato in, in response. But man, I'm so high on Yuimura. I just think this guy is fantastic. And, and I dread him getting some, Going nowhere gimmick, which now that we're a year removed, can we look back at Master Watto and for all the haha of when this guy came back as Master, Master Watto? I mean, awful, awful character. Terrible. It, it's, I mean, Great Okan is not much better except that he actually gets a push. So <laughs> there is that for him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, my kind of philosophy about the young lions is like, I enjoy them when they're young lions and then just, you know, hope, you know, hope and pray they're not saddled with some stupid gimmick. You know, we'll see. I, it looks like Shota Amino is going to be a spare that. It looks like he's just going to come back as like kind of a, you know, the kind of a Tanahashi, you know, clone kind of with the kind of gear he's wearing and who we'll see what happens with Ren Narita but like you know like I, I'm enjoying these two as young lions and, and I just enjoy the moment with them as it were John where where's your kind of um, prognosis on Yota Suji I think he's gonna be a massive like heel for the company mm-hmm. you know like he's got that look he just has that natural face for being a heel I so think he's I gonna grow it, into yeah like I think you, you can see like the building blocks that, you know, in five years, this guy could be kind of that, I don't want to say like monster heel, but I think he's certainly going to, I think he's going to even grow more into the role that I think people can, can see bits of right now. But has like got that kind of baby face fire that I see, you know, in like Kendo Kobashi back when he was like the same age. Oh, there, so, there's no one I love to see fight for that rope more than Yuya Yuimura. But with Suji, like, I, I was really, I was really pleasantly surprised with this match against Saxe Virginia because, like, he showed a lot of, like, great technical ability with, like, some of the kind of the Mexican, you know, wrestling submissions he was using. And I was like, oh, he's actually really technically sound, too. That would be, that, when you have a really technically sound heel, especially in Japan, John, it's, it makes for a really great, compelling character. Yeah. As always, the Young Lions consistently just great to follow along with. And I've really enjoyed the, uh, the trial series of late and, uh, this, this week's uh, show on Friday, uh, those two matches look, uh, can't miss. Let's move on over to pro wrestling Noah, because I have waited, uh, for several weeks. Cause now we have the conclusion. We can now do the full, the full, uh, screening conclusion on the Keiji Muto experiment. He drops the GHC championship to, Rising star, future of the company, 41-year-old, now Michi Marafuji. I will say, WH, I think you might have won this one. Oh, that that is not going to really play out, and it's going to be complete shit in the end? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I was stunned. <laughs> I, I, I won't say stunned, but I was, I was pretty surprised when I saw this result, and it was Marafuji uh, getting this. I, I certainly... When it started, I was definitely more on the pro side of, listen, I totally understand why they're doing this with Mudo. As the title defenses progressed, I realized, okay, the the window is closing quickly on on the novelty of this. And to end it with this Marafuji, I was like, okay, I, I think that this is one where you could certainly look at 
Like, where, where do you go with Mudo after this? Uh, apparently, you know, lighting your foot on fire and kicking him in the head <laughs> is where you go with that with him, apparently. Naturally. But he's, and he's still and he's still one, John. He still fucking won. That's the best part of that match. He's angling is for Keno, a program with the Fiend. I know people see this. So, Ke- so Mudo, as the great Mudo, had a match with Keno, right? At some point, Keno takes lighter fluid and he lights his kick pad on fire. So, his, <laughs> literally, his his leg is on fire, folks. Okay, and then he kicks Great Muda in the head with a flaming foot. But guess what? You think that would beat somebody? Any other company? Any other Booker? That person would Keno would win, right? No, not. Not the fucking one run by Nosawa, the biggest Keiji Muto mark in the world. It, it no. was his tribute. It was his tribute to the icon of Noah and uh, the master of the burning hammer himself. We it's, were going to uh, honor him with a uh, <laughs> the burning shin. It's tremendous that he still won that match. But here's the thing, you know, I I look at like his title defenses, Muto's title defenses, and if you switch things around, John, okay, and you had Kitamiya challenging. After he had that match with, with Nakajima, right? And he put in a hell of a performance there mm-hmm. and I think elevated himself. If you had him fight Muto and win the title for Muto after he had the cage match with Nakajima, I think that would have been a good idea. Kitamiya, you're is, saying winning. Kitamiya, yeah. yeah. Masa Kitamiya. Oh, Masa Kitamiya. Ch- okay. Okay. Not Kaido Kimia. Like, Kaido Kimia is like, I don't know what they're doing with him because he's he's on a losing streak. I maybe they're trying to build him from the ground up again. I, you don't need to. He's fine as he was. But with Kitamiya, like he had that really awesome match with Nakajima, and he really elevated himself. Like, and if you put him in at match, least, it's a it's a fresh face yeah. into that that you're elevating. It's like like I'm not gonna say anything negative about Marufuji, but it's like it's. It's Marafuji at, at the end of the day, and we've gone through like months of this story w- with Mudo. And if you're telling me from day one that this is a goal of ours is to get Marafuji to beat Mudo and bring the title back, I don't know. That falls flat to me. Well, the, the problem with Marafuji is that he doesn't need this win. Not at all. Mudo. Not at all. No, he, and there's no legend. shortage he's... of people that that could have. Like there was, uh, there was Kiyomiya. There was. Uh, there was the eventual rematch with Go, like that. I I think you could have explored uh, if they had had the patience for that. The problem was I don't know how much longer you could have uh, continued this this reign with with Mudo. I think there was an an initial novelty to it, and the longer it went, like this thing, I think this thing was going to max out at three to four months. It it it's just pointless. Like at the end of the day, it was like it just was kind of revealed like that Mudo got the title reign because Nosawa is his biggest fan and he's the booker and he thought I'm going to give him this gold watch reign so he can be, you know, he can say I've been IWGP champion. I've been the triple crown champion. And I've been the GHC heavyweight champion as well. That's, that's the only reason he was given that belt. And the only reason he, he beat, he, he ended Go Shizaki's epic reign that it should have been ended by Kaido Kiyomiya. Um, and it's just sad. It's just really sad. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's another example of why I hate nepotism in wrestling, John. And this guy has 19 months on a contract. Yeah, like, what are you gonna do? What other like? like There's you gonna you're gonna set other body parts on fire and hit him with it. Obviously. Okay. Well, you you can you can strategically uh, map out the different body parts, and then maybe every couple of months, Great Muda comes back and he lights something on fire. John, I mean, this is this is cyber fight, so they have access to Dashinoku Dino. You know, he can set on fire. And hit Mudo with, you know, that's all I'm just putting that out there. That's all I'm saying. I might actually watch that DDT show if that happens. Yeah, you, you very well, uh, could, could see some of that. Um, I have not had a chance to see the, uh, the cage match, the first cage match in Noah history that took place on Saturday. Um, that will go down in history, uh, as drawing zero people, but obviously an asterisk next to that, uh, with Ketsuhiko Nakajima and Masa Kitamiya. Uh, they went over 32 minutes uh, with Kitamiya winning and thus shaving the head of Nakajima. First of all, secondary is your thoughts on the match. Number one, though, the shaved head for Nakajima, WH, please render your verdict. Um, does not look good. I mean, part of like his charm as the you know, his current persona was that hair, was that perm. And... He kind of loses a lot, but hey, you know, the great thing about hair, John, it grows back, you know, and I, I'll say this about Masakitamiya's initial, you know, you know, foray into like cutting hair. He's not as good as Davey Portman. That's all I'm going to say about that. But um, yeah, well, no, at least he wasn't a uh, father Jim Mitchell with Raven. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you remember oh, that yeah. one on, on, on a TNA pay-per-view? 
vaguely, vaguely, but like the image of Raven's uh, poorly shaped head is, uh, is it was very similar to what what uh, Kitamiya's attempts were. And then Kendo had to like Nakajima tell him this guy's a clown, he can't do it. You you finish up. And Kendo's like me really, and he, and he did a much better job. You know, good for Kendo cutting uh, the rest of Nakajima's hair. And Sunday show uh, also featured uh, Hayata, who won the Contenders Rumble on Saturday, uh, winning the junior heavyweight title, beating Atsushi uh, Katoge. And uh, did you did you like this uh, this story over the weekend? Ele- the elevation of Hayata. Um, no, because I because I hate Hayata. He's pretty useless in my opinion. And I, you know, here's the thing, John, about the junior division, Noah. Like they have some good talent, but they have some atrocious booking, and I, I really don't care about this comp- about this division. And it's sad because Ata from Dragon Gate jumped ship, and he joined Noah, and he created a new faction. But it's like that's kind of interesting. But then I'm thinking, well, it's new Noah Juniors. I really don't care. Is there anything surrounding the the GHC title picture that you find interesting that they're going in this direction? Or do you think that this was a reset to Marafuji and it kind of is uh, just kind of putting things in place? I don't know who they have in line to to like challenge him because like Kiyomi is on a this losing streak. Um, it doesn't look like he's going to be challenging for the belt anytime soon. And I, I really don't think that would be a solution right now, having him win the title from Marafuji per se. Um now I'm interested. I do. I do think Marafuji is a really good wrestler still, with, even with all his injuries and stuff like that. Like I think there's potential there. It's just like I don't know what you do with like the roster that you have right now, be, with the way you've decimated them because of Mudo beating a lot of them, and just how like I don't know lackadaisical I feel the the booking is in that company right now. Um, I just tend to enjoy like you know if they put on good matchups then i'll watch those and i'll you know and i'll I'll try and enjoy them as for what they are and not really think about it too much i i assume like sugar is probably going to go for that belt again as well i think he's the next they've got it yeah july 11th they're doing uh marafuji and sugira i mean that'll be i think that'll be a good match because like sugira is always like for guy in his 50s john this guy this guy's in pretty amazing shape and he can still go for god's sakes it's 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 kind of extraordinary like if you look at everyone else in his age range it's it's he feels like it feels like he just sapped all their youth and just retained it for himself. So over to all Japan and they were dealt with the blow of Suwama uh, getting a positive test for COVID-19 and thus having to vacate the triple crown, uh, which he had held since March of last year. And they put it into this uh, unique format uh, for Saturday show uh, where they were going to involve Jake Lee, who was going to challenge Suwama on that show after winning the carnival with Kento Miyahara and Yuma Aoyagi. And it would start off with a singles match and whoever could get wins over both opponents first would be declared the winner. And it was Jake Lee. It started off with Kento beating Yuma Aoyagi, then Lee beating Miyahara, and then Lee beating Aoyagi in front of 1,480 at Oda Ward Gymnasium. And Jake Lee is your Triple Crown champion. I know that you were one happy man that they went with Jake Lee, finally. You've been yeah, telling this man forever. It's great. I think it's so fresh when I when I watched the match and I saw him win the title and I was just like, yes. And it just feels I, I think fresh. this company is booking strictly for you. When I saw the results and they gave you Jake Lee and Francesco Akira, I thought, my God, they're just after your heart. They are. Well, they've had it for a while, but like they're just solidifying their their grip on it, John. Like, Lee versus like Shitara Shino, fresh match. For the Triple Crown, it's a fresh match. Lee versus Ishikawa for the Triple Crown fresh match in my opinion because that him being the champion just adds a new dynamic to all these matches he'll have in Suwama the when he comes back like that's a really oh, intriguing yeah. match once Suwama comes back I mean hoping that he's he's fine from uh, COVID and everything like he should be back relatively soon and that's that feels like a bigger match now with the dynamic that Lee is now the champion and defending it against the guy he didn't technically beat for it and the other thing is, is the rematches he's going to have with Kento Miyahara and Yuma Aoyagi because, like, he beat Miyahara. It's very similar to the 97 Champion Carnival final where, like, you know, Kawada finally beat Mudo. Beat, sorry, beat Misawa. But it's after Misawa had the 30-minute draw with Kobashi, so it's kind of a tainted win. Like, so you, Lee has a tainted win over Miyahara because he had, he had a war with Aoyagi. And then he also has a tainted win over Aoyagi because even though he had wrestled Miyahara, 
Lee is also like you know Aoyagi's also wrestled before, so it's not it's not a fresh matchup between the him and either of these guys. So they can challenge down the line, and it'll feel fresh, and it's a built-in story like storyline. But I, I think you're right. Like the, the best, you know, the 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 best storyline is going to be when Suwama does come back, and he's saying, "I never lost that belt, and you and I." have unfinished business and I want that belt because I do think if Sumo didn't catch Coben, he didn't have to forfeit the belt. He would have put over Jake. He would have lost the belt to Jake at this show, but it's, it's still more intriguing now. Like that you have this storyline going into that when he comes back. I think all Japan has a lot of interesting stuff going on. And I was really happy to see the number that they drew uh, for the show on, on top of it. Like it seems that all Japan has some momentum behind them. I think they've been really smart. Like they don't try to, you know, like try to fill their coffers with like an unreasonable schedule and they they're they're booking smartly around the pandemic. And yeah, I think that they just stay this course and they don't get too crazy with like, you know, title switches or like crazy characters or anything like that. It's it, I think they have a really good chance of like really elevating themselves to uh, to a level maybe closer to pro wrestling Noah these days. And it looks like uh, Gleet are just they're opening their doors to work with everybody. You had like Shima with uh, like the strong hearts on the undercard here. Yeah, I mean, Shima and the Stronghearts have been involved with All Japan for a while. And then we get the news that, that Gleet is going to open, you know, have at least one interpromotional match with, with the New Japan for Wrestling, with the, you know, show taking on uh, Gleet, UWF rules guy, Takanori Ido, in the main event of their July 1st card. And I'm really excited about that because I really want to see show in that environment because I think he's really going to shine. What's the, how do you go about watching, uh, this Gleet card this, this week? Uh, I don't know where it's available, but like the, the great thing about Gleet is that most of their stuff is free on YouTube. Yeah, that's what I've noticed. So yeah, that looks probably will be uh, an easy show to track down on Thursday. Yeah, but Show and Takanori Ito is in the main event. Really intriguing. And I think it was, you know, met with like a bit of um, surprise, just the fact that New Japan was sending Show to do this show. But I think it's it freshens things up. I think it's a great outlet for show to send him out to do a match like that. And I think New Japan, they need to be thinking outside the box because they, they could really use a shot in the arm. Not to say this is like a game changer or anything, but to me, it's indicative of a philosophy that they're more open minded, I think, to uh, working with other offices. I, I think New Japan's junior division at its best historically has always involved outside involvement always had outside wrestlers coming in to work the company whether it's from from mexico or from the united states but but particularly when they open their doors to other you know japanese promotions and i i think it's great that the quote unquote the forbidden door is is being like nudged open a bit more in japan than than it is in with the american promotions um because i think it's more beneficial to like the the japanese side of the promotion Let's move on over to Stardom because they had uh, probably their biggest uh, match to date. It seems like this was a monumental match when it came to exposure for the company uh, with Utami, uh, Tommy Hayashishita and Shuri having their uh, huge match, which I think has led to this big breakthrough for Stardom. And it was very interesting, WH, from The Observer this week uh, that noted that subscriptions increased worldwide by 10%. After the match was released on the service just over the past week, and uh, Dave Meltzer went on to say, from the date of the purchase of the company by Bushi Road, Stardom World subscriptions have doubled, and the service is now looking at doing a million-dollar profit this year, which isn't gigantic or anything, but for a small company, that's very healthy. Uh, that's that that's very significant. Just the fact that this match uh, has jumped their subscriptions by 10%. I would say this, you could very well say, has been the most important match um, in Stardom's 10-year history because I, I think that combined with the English commentary was this perfect storm for people to dive into Stardom that were maybe aware of it but now are more invested than ever in, in watching it. Yeah, and like, shout out to like Stuart Fulton and Sonny Gutierrez. Like yeah. they they did an amazing job. Like the thing with Sonny Gutierrez is like he runs the, I believe he's the person who runs the official Stardom English account on Twitter. So he's he's part of the company. He knows all the storylines inside and out. 
and, and matching him with Stuart Fulton, who's just doing a bang up job with Mark Pickering on the English side of like the cyber fight, you know, shows of TJPW, Pro Signoa, and DDT. It's just like, wow. Like, I, I, to me, I was like surprised to see Stuart's name on this because I was like, oh, I thought he was like, have a contract with with the cyber fight but it seems like he's the kind of a free agent can do whatever he wants which is great great news like to me like this guy is the most valuable commodity as far as like trying to penetrate you know into the western market for japanese promotions is like Stuart fulton which and is Mark huge Pickering and, i think you know, it's, so i think it's really huge and this this result from from stardom's business i think is very indicative of that if i'm bushiroad i'm like thinking okay we need to get if not exclusive with him like like secure dates for his services for our big shows and maybe look into getting, you know, Sonny Gutierrez and another person to do regular, you know, overdub English commentary for the shows that appear on, on stardom world. Like that's, that's something that I would like to see. The other thing I was really, you know, happy about was that the production of this show, I think was, I think the production crew was from Samurai TV um, because it looks so much better than like what they normally film for stardom world, which is, you know, like handheld cameras and like maybe one hard cam that doesn't move at all. And I would rather they kind of, bolster their money back into production side and just try to create a more professional looking product that, that I think will draw more viewers. I think more viewers, if they see like, Oh, this camera work is really, really good. And Oh, we get English commentary on top of that. I think they can capitalize on the success of this match and just really become more popular worldwide. Yeah. And they're doing the interesting experiment where, I mean, for this show, they ran it as a, uh, as a pay-per-view and then put it on stardom world. It was like a week or so later. And that's interesting too, just to see if that's enough, if, if it's enough of a draw for people that, you know, you're drawing from a smaller pool that would be willing to pay for it as a one-off, which we've seen Noah doing more and more now on fight TV uh, versus people that maybe don't want to commit to a subscription service that there, you know, th- there's other found revenue for you for those people that maybe just don't want to commit to something beyond just the one-time payment. Yeah, but you know, for stardom, they really have to be careful what they, what what kind of product they offer for these kind of one-off pay-per-views. Like, you know, Hayashida versus Shuri was something that they built up to. And I think you can tell, like, with the booking of Shuri, especially in the last, I don't know, six, seven months, like, they're very high on her. And I think eventually she's going to ascend to that level of either becoming the the white belt champion or finally winning the red belt. Um, That, you know, like, and then Hayashida is just, like, their, their prodigy. And she has been for the last three years. Like, you know, I can I can proudly say, John, I was at her debut match at Corican Hall, sitting right behind her entire family of like 14 siblings and her parents. And it was like, I didn't know who she was. I just like watched her match with Jungle Kiana. And I thought, you know what? She's she's got she's got good base, good foundation of skills. She she'll probably go somewhere in this company at some point. And here we are three years later. And she's like one of the best wrestlers in the world regardless of gender, regardless of what country she's from. I, I think she's really, you know, grown into the role of being not just the champion of stardom, but the ace of stardom. Like she's kind of replaced, you know, finally they found a replacement for Io Shirai mm-hmm. in Utami Haishishida. I think so. And I think what, what was so symbolic of this match was now she has her rival. And I think that with like that, when they do the rematch, like, I think that has the, the ability, like that's going to have, so much more attention than this first one. And I think they have to be very strategic of when they do it and really getting the word out there when they do this rematch. Cause I think it will be perceived as a big deal. Like when you go back and trace the explosion of New Japan from that first Okada Omega match and it only grew with the subsequent matches. I mean, it's a smaller scale, but they have something here that when they go to that second match, it's like you have your your ace, but now you also have their their foil that people are really invested in. It just seems like stardom is really poised to do a lot this year, and now they have the eyeballs on them. And and the rest of the roster is is amazing too. Like I look at you know Julia's 
you know, doing wonders with the tag team she has with Shuri. They're the tag team champions of stardom. You have like Natsupoi who's, who's doing great with the high speed belt. You have Tam, Tam Nakano who's the, you know, the white belt champion, the wonder of stardom champion. And I think she's really growing into that role. And she's got the upcoming match with, uh, Saya Kamatani who won the Cinderella tournament. And I think that'll be a fun match. Like, I just think there's so much depth to their roster and it's, it's just such an exciting product. It's so, it's the one promotion where I look at the, like, I, I can watch a show from Stardom Jump top to bottom from opening match to the main event. I just like, I enjoy it all. There's just like some quibbles I can make about like in criticism I can make, but they're very minor quibbles. Whereas like I can punch holes straight through New Japan, All Japan, Noah, everything else. And it's like, this is what I like about these companies, but this is what I don't like about these companies. But I find very little of that with Stardom. What do uh, you and I have talked privately, but just uh, how high does this match rank for you uh, in your match of the year rankings? And, you know, this many weeks removed, what really stands the test of time in, in your memory of, of the match that really set it apart? Um, so it's my current match of the year. Like this is the number one match of 2021 for me. Um, what I think the pacing I just love the pacing of this match. It's like it was perfect. Like it didn't it never. It, it never felt like the time that you look at this and it's forty three minutes total. And I mean, it just yeah, the pacing was perfect. It was perfect. Just just the chemistry between these two. It's it's very reminiscent of like Masawa and Kawada. I really feel that with like Sherry being kind of the Kawada role against, you know, Utami's Misawa, you know, ace of the company. Um, just like such so many of the, the moves like that they did that were kind of dangerous, like the apron spots. <laughs> like, oh my God. Shit. Yeah. The, uh, the, but, the one like with, with like the, the, the wheelbarrow like backwards onto the, the edge of it. I mean, there was some, there was some brutal stuff in this match. I think that was, you know, part, part of, you know, the, intensity of the match there was like some brutal stuff in, involved i think that that really adds to its appeal across the board with a lot of fans i in, in myself but i think the 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 thing i i'm really invested in sherry john like she has become one of my favorite wrestlers and i've been big on her since she joined the company because i was familiar with her in here in her independent stuff and i think they have the potential to really bottle something with her and create like another like star that can be on the same level as Hai Shishida as Mayu Iwatani and Julia. And, and it's exciting to see if, you know, if Stardom is able to, to do that with Shiri. Yeah. I think, you know, you know, so much attention was on uh, Utami, but you know, for Shuri Kondo, I mean, here's someone that, I mean, I was more familiar with her from the UFC than I was from like anything with, with, with wrestling and, like just where she has progressed to as well. I mean, that was really remarkable for this match as well, because she has such a believability factor that just instantly elevated the story that they were telling in this match. And you were able to bring out that, that aggressive side of Utami as well. It just seemed the two meshed so perfectly. I mean, you look at Shuri Kondo with like her, you know, legit MMA background. You look at what Shayna Baszler is doing on <laughs> raw and it's, it's quite a, it's quite a contrast, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, I, Shayna Baszler is definitely closer to the Great Muda path of lighting something on fire and uh, attacking Alexa Bliss with uh, than uh, Shuri might be. But who knows? Maybe maybe Utami will pull out something and we, we might go down that path. Uh, very unlikely. I think uh, Shayna Baszler lighting her kick pad on fire and, and defeating an imaginary ghost doll is I could see that happening actually burning like Lily on fire uh which I, I don't even know if you're up to date on Lily, Lily or not but better oh better I, I I see I see all the gifts John and they make <laughs> me they make me laugh I don't get because I don't have to watch raw I don't get angry for this it just makes me laugh and like I I, I laugh at all the the Vincels you know the WB uh you know defenders out there like just defending this garbage and it just makes me just brings me no end end of uh, amusement. On the final uh, bit here with with Stardom, their next big show is next Sunday, where it's uh, Utami defending the World of Stardom title against Natsuko Tora. Wonder of Stardom Championship match with uh, Tom Nakano versus Saya Kamatani, who won the Cinderella tournament. And then the finals of the Future of Stardom tournament with Unagi Sayaka versus Mina Shirakawa as your top three matches. Yeah, that's, that should 
be like a great card. Like I'm excited for all those matches. Like the thing with uh, Unagi and uh, Mina is like they're they're the current you know artists of starting champions with Tam. So they're like teammates. They're in the same faction and they're they're championship. They hold a championship together. So that'll be an interesting match for the future of Stardom title. But I'm really excited about Kamitani. And like I, like taking on Tam because I think this is going to be a breakthrough match for her. And I think she's she's someone to keep an eye on. The only thing, the only problem I have with Kamatani is, my God, she wears too many tassels, and it, they just need to most of those just like keep two or three, but get rid of most of them because they just like I don't I don't I don't I don't even think they're practical, John. Like she could get tied up doing those like doing her Phoenix Splash, and one of those things get tangled, she's fucked. Future editorial coming to postwrestling.com, The Hassle of Tassels by W.H. Park. This is not your first rant on tassels. Don't, don't, don't joke, John. I might submit like an article for, for the website just titled just that, just for you. You know what I have to dig up and like uh, repost is one of my favorites uh, that we ever put on the site was you uh, breaking down the best venues to watch wrestling in, in Japan. I love that article. But you know what? Like I might have if, – if, if I ever go back to Japan, John – and I get to go to the uh, where, where where is it the the, the place that FMW is going to hold their new oh we, we, oh I almost forgot we're we're going to chat about that <laughs> the Cerumi follow up the the best places to watch in the Greater Toronto area that's that I don't think that would be a very comprehensive list John <laughs> <laughs> you could start with Ted Reeve and just keep going <laughs> I could just end with Ted Reeve as well. <laughs> Did you, did you go to that show with the garbage striker? You are and you oh, you were yes. still here for that. Did we all go to I, that together? I I was there. I was just, oh, I God. went with Rob Conway, our friend Rob Conway, and I think that was the show where like Roderick Strong like chopped some fat fan without, who took his shirt off, and Roderick Strong was drunk and just started chopping him because he said, "Hey, Roddy, chop me!" And so he did, and I thought that was kind of funny. This was, for those that were not there in July of 2009, this was in the midst of a garbage strike, and one of the dumping sites was in the back of Ted Reeve Arena in the yard area, and you were inside, and dude, it reeked. It was so awful. I mean, it would have been more appropriate if we were at the Rico Coliseum uh, for the play on words, but dude, it stunk. I remember Lance Storm was on that show. It was... uh. Anyway, it was uh, terrible that the, the, <laughs> ROH has booked the Ted Reeve Arena and a garbage strike ends up happening. And here's one of the dumping sites. Well, I think my I think I was able to cleanse the palate, as it were, by going to the Danforth with Rob and we got some like gyro. So it wasn't it wasn't a total wash as far as the night goes for me. So, yeah, but everyone probably felt like having a wash after attending. Probably. Probably. Yes. Yes, the FMWE debut takes place on Sunday at Sushi Onita, all exploding barbed wire insanity on this show. Tell us about FMWE, WH. Yeah, it's, you know, like, you know, like, you know, Sushi Onita was like inspired by Kenny Omega versus John Moxley and that epic explosion at the end of their match. And he just said, well, fuck, I got to do a whole promotion of this shit again. Right. So why, why stop back. at one? <laughs> why stop at one? Let's have the he's like he's also looking at, you know, WWE booking the hell in the cell and thinking oh, I can just do a whole card of like exploding barbed wire death matches. Why not? So he's going to hold it at probably what's likely to become my the number one venue on the, the revised article I do, John, the Surumi Fruit and Vegetable Market, located at 2-14-2, Komaoka, <laughs> Surumi-ku, Yokohama City, in Kanagawa Prefecture. I'm fucking going to this place. You, John, you, me, away. We go back to Japan. We have got to book it around a show at the fucking Surumi Fruit and Vegetable Market. This sounds amazing. You would be at this show, would you not, if you were back in Japan? You know what? Just to go to this venue, yes. Otherwise, I don't really care because I hate fucking barbed wire death matches, explosions, whatever. That doesn't interest me. But just to go to this fruit market, just to see what this setup is like, yes, I would go to this show. Are you going to watch this show? Uh, in some way, yes, probably. Like, just to see. I got to see what this venue looks like, John. Like, I'm obsessed with venues. I got to see what this thing looks like. Yeah, I, I have I'm a curiosity curious, to watch this show. I don't, I don't know what the quality is going to be, but it definitely has my – I mean, this thing is accomplishing exactly what I think it is setting out to do of just piquing people's curiosity to just to see what the hell this is. And and maybe that's just going to be a novelty view and nothing more beyond one show. But 
for one show, I'm interested. I just want to know, like, at what point people who are who are actually legitimately interested in seeing a whole show of exploding barbed wire death matches, at what point they're just going to get burned out? Not literally, I hope, but you know what I mean. Like, just Very like, nice. uh, I, I'm 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 done with this shit. Like, I, th- I think you're underestimating how many people out there do have that that interest. But then my other question that I have, John, is how many people who saw the the, the the amazing end of the Kenny Omega versus John Moxley match are going to tune into watch this thinking, I want more of that. Well, um, they've got their faith in Atsushi Onita to deliver what the, the ending of that pay-per-view could not. So we will, we will find out if there will be explosions on the 4th of July at the fruit market in Japan. I'll tell you one thing that's going to be exploding is my, my DNA is I'm going to get my second shot of Pfizer, John. Oh, when are we, when are we, uh, on deck for shot number two. Uh, Sunday, July 4th. Oh, you're going July 4th. All right. Well, we're closer and closer, WH. We will maybe we will have a live in-person post-Perez be- before all too long. Oh, that would be amazing. I, you know, like our, our good friend, our mutual friend, uh, Davey Bortman, came by to visit me the other day at, the, at work. And we we're just talking about like, hey, we should do something at the new BDE. And I've been there, John. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, give us give us a little uh, rundown, a, an unbiased uh, view of of the new establishment that Braden and Davey are occupying. First of all, the area is like it's harbor front. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And yeah. the view from like their 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 apartment. Fucking great. And it's just really laid out really nicely. So much better than the original BDE, the basement apartment. It's just like more. Well, you know, it feels bigger because it's got actually got windows. And I think that the, the lads have done a really good job decorating it. it. It really reflects their personalities, I think. And the, the, the setup that where they do the recordings aces really great. I, I'm not, I don't know if it's as good as the setup in your basement, John, but it's, it's pretty close to there. And I got to say something about Davey Portman's cooking. It's fucking great. Well, I mean, the man has many talents. It's, uh, he does. goes, goes without saying. Yes. Uh, long live the, uh, well, or maybe not the, the old BDE, which, which I did, I, I have been to the old, uh, BDE. I'm glad to see them, them moving up. Windows, windows are a nice luxury to treat yourself to. Well, apparently Davey doesn't have working blinds, so I think he's getting tired of the windows in his bedroom, apparently, cause like all he does is get, you know, sunlight at seven in the morning and he wants to sleep in or something like that. Well, you know, fame comes at a cost. Yes, it does. Before we wrap up here, I did want to give you uh, a public uh, praise for your latest edition of the Long and Winding Royal Road, uh, where you and Case Lowe went through the career of one Kenta Kobashi. This show was excellent. I really enjoyed how thorough this was and just going through such a pivotal figure in uh, it, wrestling history, not just Japanese wrestling history, but man, it is it is an unbelievable career when you have it all chronicled together in a two and a half hour podcast of like what this guy did. And, you know, sadly, it's kind of like the last 15 minutes of the podcast where you two are kind of going over kind of when the bill comes due for the physicality that he put himself through and just and, you know, stuff that he had no control over um, as well, health wise. I mean, it was, you know, he, he's gone through a lot, but this was a guy that absolutely gave his body to this. And it's it's a remarkable body of work uh, that he has. But uh, this is just a terrific show that I would encourage people to go to the archives and check this one out, along with the others on uh Mitsuharu Masawa, Toshiaki Kawada, and I guess your your favorite of all has to be down the down the pipeline with Akira Tawe. Listen, John, don't don't slander Akira Tawe. He's I, like I've he was my least favorite for the longest time. Like I just don't understand why he's with these other three. But I have grown, I have you know gained a great appreciation for the greatness that is Dynamic T Akira Tawe. He, this guy is such an amazing wrestler and i i can't wait to actually di- dive deep into his career and present what i find with uh it'll, it'll probably be the most be. eye-opening like everyone's going like kawada masawa kobashi it's like you, you know what you know what what is there i think with i think with Tawei, i think his legacy has strengthened as the years have have gone on oh definitely and then you know after Tawei, it's going to be gene akiyama then I'm gonna do one on Jumbo. Then I'm gonna do one on Stan Hansen. And you know what? The 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 the, the big one's gonna be John. I'm, I've decided. I'm gonna do one on Giant Baba. Oh wow, that would be that. That's something. That'd yeah. So like I I have the the guess I have in mind for that is probably 
going to be the perfect person for that. I won't say, I don't want to spoil anything, but that, thank you, John. I really appreciate uh, you saying that. Like, so I've gotten a lot of good feedback from, for that episode. And I, I, I really like doing these. These are fun. And to do one on Kobashi, who is like, like I always say K- Kawada is my favorite of the four pillars because I think his story is the most compelling of the four, but Kobashi is probably my favorite pro wrestler of all time. He's always lurking in the top three. It's like, he's up there with like, and the other persons like that are tend to be floating in around there is like Ricky Steamboat and, and who else is like Bret Hart. So like, he's in pretty good company in my opinion. Just not enough to, you know, if, if it's your last night in Japan, you're not going to go for a ramen from Kawada. Well, that's, that was you. It wasn't my last night in Japan. It was your last night in Japan, but like, I, apparently we didn't miss much, but you know, I think what, John, we made the right I, choice. I think personally, I think there's going to be a point where you and myself at the very least will make a return to Japan to, to do something and maybe throw in more tourism as opposed to wrestling this time. And then hopefully ways joining us and, and maybe, maybe the Murray clan will join us. Who knows? We'll oh, see what happens. Could you imagine? Well, based on, you know, where they're going, I mean, if we ever get to the point where new Japan's doing monthly stadium shows, we'll have no shortage of options to pick where we could base it around like a big new Japan event. We should just, we should do a G1 finals. Seriously. Like, I think you've done the Tokyo Dome. You've done Wrestle Kingdom. Let's do the G1 finals. Let's go to, let's go to Budokan Hall. That I would think be Tokyo Dome's, it's, it's a cool venue to like check off the list. It's hardly the most desirable venue to go watch a wrestling event in. Yeah. Budokan Hall, John and, and Korokan. Budokan, I would love to go to. Budokan we, would be and, something. And if we go to, if we can do Dominion, my God, let's go to, let's go to Osaka Joe Hall. You would love Osaka Joe Hall. It's fucking great. Well, the uh, the world is slowly opening up, so I I hope to one day uh, get back there. But you will be getting back to all of us here at postwrestling.com next weekend with the return of the long and winding Royal Road. And for next week's show, you are going back to October of 1999. That's right. October 23rd, 1999, the uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling World Tag Team Championships are on the line. It's the team of the Untouchables, the champions, Mitsuhara Masawa and Yoshinari Agawa taking on the team of Burning, Kenna Kobashi and Jun Akiyama in a, in a classic battle for the All Japan World Tag Team Championships. And, and joining me is uh, Post Wrestling's uh, show reviewer, Mark Buckley, and uh, he does a great job on this show. I, I, you know, to pull back the curtain, John, I've already recorded this show. Ah, well, I look forward to it. Two, uh, two great voices out there to chat about uh, a historic tag match uh, where, in fact, nothing will actually be burning in the match. So that's a good thing. Well, you know, besides the imaginary, the metaphorical hammer, you know, no, not nothing actually physically burns. No. You can also catch WH uh, every Thursday evening. The shows drop with MCU later with WH and waiting as they are going through the ongoing Loki series. We are three episodes in and... You've got three more to go. How do you, how do you like the, the six episode run that we've got, uh, for Loki? It's like minimal investment. I think it's fine. I, I, I think, you know, like the story they're trying to tell is, is perf, it seems like it's being perfectly paced to, to peak at number six. And I'm looking forward to going on the ride. I, I know you've been listening to you and Way. You've, you've been in, enjoying the show. Like the, the actual TV show. Did you watch this week's, John? Have you listened to I the podcast I have not yet? seen. I am way behind on, on so much stuff. But episode three is on my to-watch list. I, I've been enjoying it so far. Um, to me, w- WandaVision is – I really loved WandaVision. I don't know if anything is going to necessarily hit my enjoyment of, of that series. Um, but I'm enjoying this more than uh, Captain America. You mean the Falcon the, and the Winter yeah, Soldier? Yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, uh, fair enough. I think it, it depends like where your kind of tastes lie. But I, let me know what you think about the, the, the rant I go off on about moviegoers, John. Let me – when you listen to the uh, the new podcast. Okay. Just not hearing it, I, I would imagine that you and me probably – I would imagine you and me are like-minded people when it comes to, to moviegoers. But I've not heard your rant, so I don't want to co-sign uh, blindly. Well, I mean, I I just want to know if you 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 don't have to agree with it, the opinion. I just want to know if you enjoy the 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 rant. <laughs> I, I promise you, I will enjoy the rant. When you are you are in rant mode, I just I have my popcorn ready and I'm all set. I I, I, I wasn't even planning on it. It's just like way brought it up, and I just like it just triggered something in me. Do you think you will be seeing a movie in the near future? Yeah, I I 
I, I do. I really, you know what? Here's the thing, you know, talking with, with our good friend, Deathmatch Richard, AKA Benno, uh, I was thinking, you know, if we can work it out, we can, we should go see F9 <laughs> together. I would like to see it. I'm, I'm mentally getting into the headspace of going to a movie theater. I'm not quite there yet, but I, I feel like it's, uh, a higher probability now. It's like, it, it's only in my, like weirdness now of like not going to a movie in like two years. Oh, I, I, I totally feel you. Like I, I saw tenant when I was still in Japan, mm-hmm. but that was weird. And like, I, I've not felt at all comfortable seeing a movie in, in Toronto, but like, hopefully I, I too get over that mental hurdle and, and maybe you and I can, can see something together, you know, seats apart, wearing masks and feel safe to that degree. And then maybe just to pull back the curtain a bit here, John, like the, the reason I bring up a Benno is because he, he really wants to do an F9 review with us. I, I, I want to do it too. I just want to be able to, uh, I do want to see this one in the theater and it's what, what's, I'm not even up to date. Like what is the status right now of movie theater? Like what phase do movie theaters open here? I don't know. Like I, I, I honestly, I'm more interested in trying to get a haircut to be quite honest with you, but I imagine like with like limited capacity, you could do it in phase two. Maybe I think it really depends like how, how like low the numbers for hospitalizations go and how high the numbers for vaccinations go like to we'll see. We'll see what our esteemed premier decides. Well, TikTok, we're, uh, we're, we're slowly moving. Um, here in Canada. But WH, it's always great to uh, catch up with you. Everyone can give them a follow at WH Park 9. Uh, that's the number nine uh, to follow all of the latest and greatest from WH Park. You can catch them. MCU later every Thursday for Post Wrestling Cafe members. And then next Sunday, the long and winding Royal Road dropping with guest Mark Buckledy as they chat Mitsuharu Masawa and Yoshinari Ogawa versus Junakiyama Kenta Kobashi from October 23rd, 1999, which if you Google that may in fact bring you to a video. It may. Yes. We're, I'm working on having someone make that accessible. That's all I'll say about that. One thing that is not a long or winding royal road is uh, the online accessibility of all Japan's greatest matches. I mean, it's a it's a pretty short road to get to the destination. Not everything is online for free access, but you know, if if you know the right people, John, you can make things available for your listeners out there. That's all I'm going to say. Well, with that said, we are going to bid everyone a farewell. Thank you for listening to this month's edition of Post Pro Res, and we will speak with you in the not-too-distant future.